Amen. Amen. This time we're going to read our scripture for this morning. It's found in Romans chapter number 12. We'll look at verses 1 and 2 together. Word of God to you today. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. If this is your first time with us, we hope it will not be your last. My name is Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City. It's always a pleasure for me to be with you all in this way. Today, we are continuing a series we began last week called Train Station, and Train Station is a series which is all about the power of our minds and pursuing the mind of Christ. And in today's installment of our series, we're going to be talking all about renewing the mind, renewing the mind. But before we grow together, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this moment. It's a holy moment. It's a divine moment. It's your moment. Get the glory in our hearts. Get the glory in our minds. Arrest our attention. Move any distractions, God. For it is a privilege for us to sit at your feet and to learn of you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the change that will happen. Thank you for the life that will be touched. Thank you for the need that will be met today. In Jesus' name. God's children said amen. Amen and amen. In John McComas' book, Live No Lies, we'll reference that book uh, a few times today, he quotes Winston Churchill as saying this, the empires of the future are the empires of the mind. The empires of the future are the empires of the mind. To which he follows that statement by saying, the future of the world would be a war of ideas, not bombs. So as we begin to talk about renewing the mind today, I want to talk uh, first about believing lies. Believing lies. It doesn't take long for you and I to believe our own lies. It doesn't take long. We believe the lies we tell, we believe they are the truth in as little as 45 minutes, according to a study done in 2018. This study, this research, monitored brain activity while people gave truthful and false answers to a 100-question exam. The people were asked to be truthful on questions like, did you hit the snooze button yesterday? Did you use a fork when you ate lunch yesterday? On half of these questions, the researchers asked people to lie, intentionally, And as they did, it monitored their brain activity. This research revealed that lying engaged the brain process responsible for working memory. 
45 minutes later, the exact same exam was given to the participants, only this time, everyone was asked to be honest on every question. They wanted to see if the participants who were asked to lie on the first exam would remember that they had lied or would they now accept the lie as the truth. The research revealed that lying caused the participants to lie again, even though just 45 minutes earlier, they knew it was a lie. The conclusion was that lying alters your memory. It creates a new memory, in fact, for something that didn't really happen. Once you've committed to the lie, it's going to alter the way you remember doing something in reality. Because, family, the truth is this, lies wreck our brain. Lies wreck our brain. They trick our brains into believing lies as reality. They change our memory, our understanding of reality. Ideas, even false ones, create a mental map that our brains operate by. Some of you may remember this, uh, Brian Williams of NBC. Some years ago, he claimed that his helicopter in Iraq had come under enemy fire during a reporting assignment. Problem was, it never happened. At least not to the helicopter that he was flying in. Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell writes about this in his book, David and Goliath. Now, it did happen, it just didn't happen in the helicopter that he was flying in. Now, later, Brian Williams apologized for misrecalling the incident after he was called out about lying about it. Now, when you think about that, that's no different than situations that a lot of us have been in, only we just haven't been called out about it. It's no wonder that Satan is the father of lies. This is why the devil's primary target is our trust in God. Our trust in God and his truth as it comes to us in Scripture. Because the enemy begins his assault on our minds by planting doubt. Questioning the memory of what is true and what God has said is true. If you remember in the book of Genesis, the enemy started this by coming to the woman and says, Did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Because his goal is to plant doubt, plant confusion. So why do we believe lies? Why do we believe lies? Ignatius of Loyola, who was a Spanish theologian, he said this. He said, sin is my unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Sin is my unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Friends, we sin because we believe lies about what will make us happy. We sin because we believe lies about what will make us happy. And again, in, in, in John Comer's book, uh, Live No Lies, he has this diagram that I think paints a pretty good picture of this, and he talks about the devil's primary stratagem. And the devil's primary stratagem is to drive the soul of society into chaos and ruin by deceptive lies, deceptive ideas, thoughts, deceptive, deceptive ideas that play to our distorted desires, and then they are normalized in a sinful society. Normalized in a sinful society. 
Again, his stratagem is to drive the soul of society into chaos and ruin by deceptive ideas that play out in our distorted desires and then are normalized in a sinful society. So the way to see all temptation is to see temptation as an appeal. Temptation is an appeal by the enemy of your soul to believe and accept a lie, to believe an untrue story about God, about yourself, and about the world. When you think about it, disinformation is at the heart of almost every problem we face in society. Disinformation. If we're honest, we are easily deceived as people. We are terrible at lie detection. In fact, Dr. Timothy Levine, who is the world's leading expert on deception, he trains police officers and CIA agents. And his conclusion on this subject is that even the most intelligent human beings are terrible at lie detection. Even the most intelligent. It's no wonder that this is the strategy of our enemy. John Marcoma says in his book, he says, the exact nature of the lies changes from generation to generation, from culture to culture, person to person, but they always run along these lines. Number one, distance yourself from God. Two, do your own thing. And number three, redefine good and evil based on your own gut and your own desires. And we see this play out over and over and over again in our society. But what we often miss is how it plays out in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own minds. Because the spirit of this world says that no rules, no morality, no limits will make you free. It'll liberate you. But the truth is, it actually enslaves us to our own brokenness. Enslaves us to our own brokenness. The first lie in the garden, as with the lie that we might be believing today or being tempted to believe, began as a what? Thought. Idea. And the further the thought gets from our brains, the harder it is to take it captive. The harder it becomes to stop it. And we've been using the metaphor of trains. Our brains are like a train station. So the further the train gets from the train station, the less control that we have over it. Remember, thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to words. Words lead to actions, right? Actions lead to habits. Habits, a lifestyle. And a lifestyle, a destination. I need you to know that the enemy doesn't just tell us lies. He doesn't just want us to, to live out lies just to live out lies. He's trying to take us somewhere. He has a destination in mind, and it's a destination of destruction. And so it's not by coincidence that right here at the top of the year, God has us dealing with our thought life. Because our thought lives are how we end up where we end up in whatever area of life you want to attribute this to. What we eat began with a thought. Where we work began with a thought. And so part of what we want to, what we want to emphasize in this series is that God has a lot to say. God has a lot to say about our thoughts and the power of our thought life. God has a lot to say about that. And arguably, Paul's most complete work is the book of Romans. He spends the first 11 chapters 
of the book of Romans, writing to the church in Rome about the truth of the gospel. The importance of centering your thoughts on the reality of what Jesus did. And then in chapter number 12, he moves from an explanation of the gospel to the implications of the gospel. And specifically, the top of Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, those verses answer the question, how should we respond to God's love and mercy towards us? That's what those first two verses answer. And so today I want to use the balance of my time just to teach for a little bit on those first two verses. Tim Keller calls those verses a summary of the whole Christian life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So as we begin to talk about renewing the mind, I want us to look at those verses again. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, <clears throat> the, kind he will, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So as we talk about renewing the mind, let's walk through for a few minutes what Paul is saying here in the first two verses of Romans chapter number 12. He begins by using the words, and so. And with those words, Paul is shifting his attention to how we should live and how we should think in light of the gospel, in light of the truth that he just spent the first 11 chapters talking about. He's shifting his attention here. Because of what I just told you, this is how you need to live. This is how you need to think. And then Paul says, I plead with you. Now, when I read that, I think about the fact that those are strong words from a person who wrote the majority of the New Testament. So you and I would do well to lean into what it is that he says next. And he says, give your bodies. Give your bodies. Now, this is... This is against what culture tells us, right? Culture tells us that our bodies belong to us. And we determine what's right and wrong with our bodies. And so Paul here is remembering Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, when he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, he says, you'll lose it. But if... If you give your life for my sake, you'll save it. Then he ends this part by saying, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? And so then the question becomes to us, how do we, how can we lay our bodies down, deny ourselves, give, our Lord, give the Lord our thoughts? Friends, it's only because of and through the gospel of Christ. Paul continues in the next part of this verse by saying, living sacrifice. Now, in using those words, he's using Old Testament language here. He's using Old Testament language and asking that we offer ourselves as a type of living sacrifice. Here's the challenge with that. Living sacrifices can get up off, off the altar. Living sacrifices can change their mind. They can get up off of the altar. I love what Tim Keller says about a living sacrifice. Look at this. He says, a living sacrifice means every day, every hour, 
every moment, right now, you have to deliberately, consciously, continually, and perpetually offer yourself to him. It's constant, he says. It's never over. It's intense. You're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the idea that you have a right to live as you choose. It feels like death, but on the other side, it's life. That's why it's a living sacrifice because it's a sacrifice that leads to life. This is what, we are all, what we've all been called to. Everybody in this room that has made the decision to follow Christ, this is what we've been called to. Again, look at that. It's intense. It's constant. But how many of us have decided to give our hearts and lives to Christ but still feel like we have the right to live as we choose? And so this is, this is the tension that Paul is trying to bring to our attention here in the text. That's why he says we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Then he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He says, don't copy. Don't copy. Don't copy. Because when we copy, we conform. And that word conform literally means to be molded or stamped according to a pattern. To be molded or stamped according to a pattern. Now watch this. The verb is passive, implying that if we don't actively and intentionally resist the world, resist the culture, we will be conformed. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If we are not deliberate, if we are not intentional about letting God transform us, then we will. We will be conformed. And that's the world we live in, right? We live in a copycat society. We live in a copycat world. Conformity happens without thought. So if you don't want to be transformed by God, do absolutely nothing. You will be, we will be conformed to the world. This is why Paul uses the language, I plead with you. Because there's a lot on the line. There's a lot on the line. Of course, we know that our souls are on the line, but, but, but our gifts are on the line. The purpose that God has for you is on the line. The souls that God has stationed along your journey that he wants to use you to bless is on the line. Then he says, let God transform you. How? By changing the way you think. And with that saying, he's telling us that transformation happens from the inside out. Transformation happens from the inside out. Because here's the truth. You can present your bodies all day. You can come to church every week. But if we never allow God, if we never let God transform us, just because we present our bodies doesn't mean it's holy or acceptable to God. Without the renewing of your mind. It's the difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifice, right? God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. The scripture says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice to God. And so it takes faith for you and I to let God transform us. To be transformed means that you become something new on the inside. This is something that we allow to be done to us. Not something we do by our own power, but rather we submit to God's power by his grace. 
we are transformed on the inside and the proof becomes evident on the outside. God can begin to transform us from the inside out as we turn from our own ways of thinking and offer our minds to him. And what Paul is saying essentially here, family, is that the truth is we're either conforming to the culture or being transformed by the one true God. We are either conforming or being transformed. One happens by default, conforming, and the other happens through deliberate submission, transform. If we don't let God transform us, then we will copy and conform to the world system. But again, it takes faith to surrender our thought life, the dirtiest place. It takes faith to do that. What I'm learning, friends, is that obedience is not just doing what God told you to do. It's doing it the way God told you to do it. And he's telling us here the way to transformation is through the mind. It's through the renewing of our mind. Unless there's a renewing of the mind, any changes in our lives will be temporary and superficial. Temporary and superficial. But I love what happens, this amazing promise that goes along with allowing God to change the way we think. When we allow God to change our thinking according to the true story and not a lie. Romans 12, verse 2 The second half of the verse, he says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. That's what happens when when we allow God to renew our minds. We'll learn to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What a wonderful byproduct of submitting our thoughts, our thought life to God. You know what happens? Clarity happens. We're no longer confused about who we are, who we serve, what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be doing it. I don't know about you, but I believe that clarity is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to his children when we let him transform our thinking. Because the truth is, we can be living living demonstrations of the fact that God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it is perfect. But only as we are transformed and will only be transformed as our minds are renewed. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Conform or be transformed. And that's what God is saying to us today. Conform, do nothing, and that's what happens, or be transformed. And so I don't know about you, friends, but, but I've done enough conforming to the world. I've done that enough. I've done it enough. We're called to live against the grain, to do something different than everybody else is doing, to live with a posture of open hands and open heart, whereby we let God transform us as we surrender to him our thought life. And so before I take my seat, I want to give you something practical to do with this. Because... It's simple, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Because the truth of the matter is, is some of the things we think, we like to think them. One way or the other. For some of us in our thought life, it justifies hurt and pain that we've been through. Some of us feel like we have a right to be better. We have a right to be angry. 
because of things that have happened to us. But I need you to know that the enemy is aware of our stories. He's aware. He's aware of the pain and the trauma that we've been through. He's, he's been a part of a lot of it. And he leverages that. He leverages that pain and that trauma to tell us lies about our story. That's what he does. Remember, all good lies have a little truth in them, right? And so he leverages that. For instance, maybe you were abandoned to some degree as a child. Maybe you were. Maybe that's truth that's a part of the trauma of your story. Maybe that's true. Well, what the enemy will do is the enemy will try to leverage that truth to lie to you by telling you you were abandoned because nobody loves you. As children of God, we know that that's simply not true. We know that God loves us. And so as you begin to think about this application I'm going to give you here in a minute, I want you to know that the enemy typically comes at us the same way most of the time based on whatever your story is, your trauma, or your pain. He comes at us through what he knows about us, through, no, through what he knows he can leverage, whether that's fear, whether that's greed, anger, hopelessness, lust. Whatever it is that we struggle with, we tend to struggle with the same kind of negative thoughts around those things. That's how he works. So whatever the enemy However the enemy tends to come at you, I want you to begin to prepare yourself to let God, by his grace, transform you. Scripture, scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given us everything we need to live a godly life through the knowledge of him. So we have what we need. Just have to use it. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to promote effort or works here but rather I'm trying to stir your faith. The Bible says that faith comes by what? Hearing. So I want you to think about the way the enemy tends to come at you. Now, as I set this application, I'm going to use fear as an example, okay? So the first step that I want you to do is write down God's truth. Step one, write down God's truth. Write it down ahead of time. One or two verses. Write down what God has to say about whatever lie the enemy is trying to get you to believe and live out. Write down what God has to say about it. Using fear as this example, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us what? A spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a what? Sound mind. See, when Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, the first thing he said in response was what? It is written. The first thing he said, he referred to God's word. That's what I'm suggesting that we do. Write down what God has to say. Because again, he typically comes the same way. Typically comes the same way. And I'm going to suggest even further that you put it in, in a note in your phone so it's easily accessible. So you can pull it out whenever you need it. Write down God's truth. The second thing is resist the lie. You have a choice said last week that we're not mere recipients or victims to our thoughts. We have a choice. Resist the lie. Cut it off. Stop it as soon as you hear it. Don't let it linger. Remember, he's trying to take you somewhere with the thought. It's not just about the lie. He has a destination in mind. Don't let it linger. The scripture says that if we resist the devil, he will flee. 
We have what we need. Write down what God says. Write down his truth. Resist the lie. Step three is replace the lie with the truth that you've written down. Replace the lie. Do what Jesus did. Refer to God's word. What did he say to the enemy when he was, when he was being tempted? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's what he said. So that's our challenge this week. Write down what God has to say. Write down God's truth. Resist the lie and then replace the lie. And then step four, repeat the process. This is for those of us that are tired of having a filthy thought life. That actually want to be transformed by the living God. And undoubtedly today, there's somebody in this room that's sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're sick and tired of being defeated in your thought life. This is for you. Write down God's truth. Resist the lie. And then replace the lie with God's truth. Remember, thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to words. Words lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Habits lead to a lifestyle. Lifestyle leads to a destination. The destination that we are called to is a destination called life. Abundant life. Not just in eternity, but here on earth. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. We're in this together. I believe God is going to do some great things as we surrender our thought life to him. To God be the glory. Let's pray. God, you are wonderful. You are awesome. You are holy. You are a way maker. So grateful for that. So we pray that you would deal with our, those spaces inside of us that have found comfort in negative thoughts. That space in us, God, that has found, that's found validation in negative thoughts. That's found justification in negative thoughts. Help us to find our validation, our justification and what you say about us. Thankful that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in your image and after your likeness. And we acknowledge, God, that what has prevented many of us from living that out is our thought life. So we surrender our thought life to you afresh, God. praying that you would help us to access the truth that'll set us free. God, you've prepared the meal. You set the table. Help us to sit down and feast. And as you do, we thank you for the clarity that'll come. We thank you for the peace that'll come. 
Thank you for the victory that is ours in you. So as best we can, we give it to you, God. And we ask that you have your way. And we pray for the courage, for the strength to take a step towards you by your grace. Help us to write down your truth, to resist the lies, then to replace the lie with the truth. For you are indeed our God. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.